Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women a chance to get honest and open about what it's really like surviving and thriving in what often feels like a male-dominated world. All of my guests have been handpicked from the fields of science, technology, engineering and mathematics, or STEM, where inclusivity and diversity can be a real issue. I know this only too well, having been a mechanical engineer myself for a number of years. I'm Dr. Shanice Omara, now a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting-edge technology and innovation over the years, and through my TV work, I've met some incredibly inspiring women from a diverse range of STEM fields. These women are true trailblazers, and I've often felt so empowered myself by learning what it's like to be them, real people. And they're usually real people when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. Each week on Silence, one of these women shares her unique experiences and truth without the usual pressure and stress of having to promote her accomplishments or uphold her impressive reputation. How? Because all of my guests are deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we as listeners are not distracted or maybe even intimidated by all the usual kinds of societal labels and trophies. The women of STEM on this show have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human, just like the rest of us. And I want to share the inspiration and wisdom that I've gathered from them with you. It's my hope that you really relate to what we chat about today. And if so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even rate and review the show. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest is in the field of cybersecurity. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be on this show. I've heard great things. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I I actually don't know too much about you, but I um, know someone that you know who was just telling me about how incredible you are. And I thought I've got to have um, someone who is very senior within the field of cybersecurity and has done so much. Um, come and share her kind of experiences, really. <laughs> I'm not sure I would consider myself very senior because that makes me old. Um, <laughs> okay. Or that I've done all that much because there's a lot more I want to do, but I appreciate the compliments. Thank you. So how did you get into um, an industry that is relatively young? Well, so I've been in security my entire career. So going beyond 20 years. And it really was something that I fell into because in my earliest parts of my career, I was um, involved in very advanced networking and involved in a very fast paced industry. And what we found was within a nanosecond, it seemed we had attacks going on in that environment. And so Right. We had to change with the times. And part of the way I had to change was to become at a very young age, very aware of nation state threat actors, terrorist threat actors, all sorts of different actors who wanted the information we were, you know, in essence, broadcasting. And so, you know, across right. the network. And so hmm. it was... Um, something that became a part of my DNA from an early part of my career. And it's funny because I think those early days of my career gave me the ability to really understand the um, ethical and the, the serious nature security professionals have. It's, it's a really fun field. It's an amazingly fast paced field, but there is a huge ethics component to it because you're putting the safety of, nation states and people and companies and all sorts of things in, in the palm of 
technology's hands. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so I shied away for many years from really calling or considering myself a security expert, though I was, um, because of that, you know, just what I considered really ethical portion of it. And I had a long um, kind of paradox with myself about whether or not I wanted to be that much in charge of, you know, somebody else's livelihood and future. So it took a long time for me to kind of come to terms and come to Jesus with myself and then um, go into the role full time. How did you actually get into the industry to begin with? Like, was it obvious from a young age that this was (laughs) how your career would unfold? I mean, I can't imagine a little girl um, kind of thinking about security or even being aware of it. Well, I mean, it's funny, like my girls now, yes, my girls run around the house in in security shirts and they talk about how they want to be in security. And so now, (laughs) yes, very much so. I'm brainwashing the future on a daily basis. Um, But you're right. I mean, (laughs) you have to think about it. I mean, so first of all, when I was a little girl, this was not an industry. Nobody even thought about security. Yeah, There was, I mean, in all seriousness, I'm older than the first ransomware. So, you know, the idea of... of, (laughs) going into security is not something that, you know, we would have thought about because computers were something, Mm. you know, the idea of computers, it was just starting to come about. I remember getting my first, you know, computer and and it was basically a green screen and we were really excited when we could make a logo mouse, you know, jump around on a frog. I mean, that was about what it did. Um, (laughs) not, Not a field that, you know, you went into. And when I went to university, the idea that, I mean, there was just the beginnings of computer science degrees at that point in a mainstream university, and I went to quite Mm. a good university. Um, And the only reason I went into technology, I actually was going to law school, was um, a Fortune 25 company came knocking looking for my skill set in sales and said, would you consider it? And I really thought about it and thought it would be a good maturity process. I didn't know a lot about tech, but I'd always been interesting and en- interested in engineering. I'd always been in every robotics and engineering and you know computer class I could get my hands on as a kid. Um, so I decided to go into tech sales for a year. And it ended up where I just never looked back. It was first sales, and then I was a self-taught engineer. I had a lot of great mentors with engineering and went into engineering and um, managing both sales and engineering, and then you know, kind of working my way into different areas. The security just happened to be for me something that was part and parcel. It was always there mm. with the key accounts and the key solutions that I um, brought to market. And I was very fortunate or unfortunate, depending on which way you see it, to be a part of some of the most early um, real breakthroughs in security. If you think about um, DDoS mitigation or infrastructure as a service or things like that. That was a lot of my background. So it was never something that I intended mm. to be a part of. And so you kind of just followed your interest and curiosity. I did. I did. I mean, I always had the interest and the curiosity. That was never it. I mean, I loved, I was trained three times to be security professional and I turned down the jobs all three times because again, I really felt like I didn't have enough of the chops in my book. And that's something I see with women all the time is I talk with women constantly that they always feel like they're lacking the skills and security. And I was the perfect use case, Mm. literally trained three times to be a security professional in different companies, different facets. And all three times I went, nope, not for me. I don't have enough skills. I'm not trained enough. I don't know enough. 
um, and declined it. And it mm. was finally um, a, cor- a corporation that I was compared to what? It wasn't me comparing myself to the men in the room, though all three times I was the only woman in the room. It wasn't, you know, I knew I, I, w- I would pass the classes with top marks. I would, you know, be the number one, whatever it was. And I would sit back and think, what if I allowed an attacker through? What if I caused a company to go down? What if I caused a breach? And it was more me really wrestling with, again, that responsibility I felt in security and still feel. It took a long time for me to, you know, really get past that, you know, absolute responsibility I see within our industry. And, right. you know, and I still get frustrated when I see people taking, you know, security in a lackadaisical form. No, but the, I mean, the, mm. the it, it was a very long and winding road. And the only thing that really did kind of push and shove me was I finally had a company say, you're going to take over our security division. You are a security professional. And I remember joking, saying, no, I'm not. And they're like, yes, you are. And we ended up where they locked me in a room with engineers and until I basically agreed, yep, I have the same skill set. And it was, you know, more on the ethics than it was the skills. And I ended up taking over their security company. So it's basically people believing in you that allowed you to kind of move in this direction. To some degree, yeah. I mean, I had a a very strong skill set in technology for a number of years. Everyone knew I had a security background and a really, I mean, it, you joke about it, but I had a hardcore security background. I'd done some pretty amazing things in security and I was the only one who went, no, 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 I, I don't do that. No. Mm. Mm. So yeah. it was kind of making my own call than anything else. And again, I see that constantly with women mm. is that, you know, we, we tend to downplay our success in a certain market because it may not be what we think we fit in the box for. How are we supposed to handle the fact that women just have a very different perspective on their abilities compared to men? Is it something that we should, should we be more like men or should we embrace how we are and somehow find a solution around it? I think, I don't think we would ever want to say, and I think it's a very dangerous statement to say we should be more like men. Yes. Or for men to say they should be more mm. like women. We are individuals. Yes. We and mm. when you're talking about creating a great organization, a great culture to work in, the best cultures recognize that there are diverse views, diverse people, diverse, you know, actions, everything you can think of that way, and that it's celebrating what makes us different between men and women or ethnicities or whatever that makes a company stronger. Mm not something assimilation is never a good idea. Assimilation is never the answer. So the critical thing is one, I really do believe that we should not be sometimes as hard on ourselves as an industry in STEM as we tell, as we are on a regular basis. It is still a very new industry. You know, if you think about it, it has been, you know, from a computer science and and a security perspective, like I said, I'm older than ransomware. Think about that. So, and, and yet it's changing every about, day. You know, um, exactly. Challenges it is. It is cropping up every day. single day. So, yeah. correct. And so, when you think about that, the idea that we should assimilate when you have something changing every day, we need all of the diversity and different perspectives we can get if we're going to really solve for 
these issues that face mm-hmm. cybersecurity. So women don't need to be more like men. Men don't need to be more like women. We just need to be celebratory that there is a space for everyone in this industry. Mm. We will use your skill set no matter who you are. And we will help you find what makes you passionate within our industry because we need everybody. Right. So when you were feeling underqualified to do certain jobs, um, Mm -hmm. was that something that you had to figure out as an individual or was there anything industry could have done to uh, move you along quicker? I had been a senior executive for a number of years in multiple facets. I'd run different teams. I'd run everything. It wasn't that I was underqualified. Mm. It was I felt I didn't have in my head all the skills I would want. Right. I would want. Meaning I had, I did not have a security background. I was not a hacker in my book. I didn't have the black hoodie. I didn't have what I had perceived to be the prerequisites mm. to run a security company. Oh. It was nothing to do with, it was my right. own perception issue. Right. Well, it's kind of amazing because basically you were standing in your own way. I mean, you had very high expectations of yourself. And I, and I will tell you that I hear, I mean, so I give a talk on a regular basis about my own journey. And every time I give it, I've, I've had women cry. I've had women, you know, come off stage and, and hug me. There's a there's a huge subset of women out there that are their own worst mm, enemies. Yeah. In this way. That and it's not that we are being developed in a different way or a manner, but again, I think women tend to be more ethical as not that men aren't, but just they see the responsibility that comes with right. security in yeah. a different light sometimes. And so there's that, you know, we're we're always as as women able to talk ourselves out of something it's harder to talk ourselves into something i think that's just the nature of being a woman we're, we're really good at that mm. um and i don't think that's bred in us i really think it's you know part of us is yeah. we are usually very good at talking our way out of things mm. so you know if, what could society have done differently for me i've really thought about that a lot um i think society did the right things for me I don't know if I would have been ready in my 20s and my early 30s to take on the career that was being pushed at me to some degree. Um, I'm not sure where that would have ended me. I may have actually stepped totally out of it because it is a very fast-paced world. Um, mm-hmm. I was in a beautiful position where I was allowed you know, in my career to take a step back and raise my family. And I raised three beautiful children while they were very young and then had a fourth. I have four children. Oh my goodness. Um, wow. You know, so you think about that. Yeah. Um, so you think about that and that I was allowed to have that flexibility and support structure to do that is almost unheard of in America's. You know, when you think about that. Um, and then to be um to have mentors, both male and female, who felt strongly enough that I needed to go back into an executive role and looking across what was available to me. You know, and them were, they were the ones who said security is really the way to go and pushing me to believe in, yes, I could not, not only could I do this, but I would have the bandwidth and the time and the abilities and the support structure. Um, so, you know, I think mine's one of success. I don't know if there's a way that would have made it any better or easier other than we need to listen mm. to our voices. 
And so as we develop young women and, and women returning into the workplace, it's giving them that exposure of, you know, what is it that they want to re- receive out of their career and how do we align to their goals? You know, I mean, I always laugh that in my early 20s and 30s, you know, my loves were, you know, my husband and technology and, you know, the company I was working for, probably in that order. It was, you know, my family, my husband, I love tech, always have. And, you know, then my fa- and then my, you know, hmm. the company. And as you get, you know, older and more established in your life, now I would say, you know, my children are right at the top of everything I do. So, you know, any career, any choice I make has to, you know, have that understanding that I'm a mom before mm. I am an executive. Oh, my gosh. I have so many questions and I don't know where to start. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, OK, so re- rewinding. Um, what was it that yeah. you received that was crucial to your success? I received amazing advice at a very early age. Two pieces of advice. One was never say no when you want to say yes. When your gut says yes. And what that means is it didn't matter where I was in my career. And there's a lot of people that have thought at different points. I was absolutely, you know, jokingly batshit crazy. Um, <laughs> yep. When, you know, in the top of my career, top of my form, top of my game, I would take a step back. I'd take a step away. I'd go do something different and go do something else. And it wasn't because I, you know, was being forced to. It was I felt in my heart taking on a new opportunity, doing something different, sometimes rebuilding my entire career. You know, I'd go from the top of my career, you know, and then all of a sudden back into a lower role. And I'd work my way back up again. And it was because in my gut, the yes was there. I wanted it. So never be afraid of the yes. Um, I don't care where you are in your career. I've walked out of positions number one in the company. And, you know, because it felt right. Um, the second advice I was given, and this sounds really funny, but it's true, is fake it till you make it. Um Executives put their pants on one leg at a time, one skirt at a time. Um, <laughs> and and what I mean by that is, you know, there were times in my career where I would have to work with incredibly powerful people, um, you mm. know, way above my pay grade, you know, billionaires and inventors and you name it, I've met them um, in my career. And that advice, fake it till you make it, it didn't mean being grandiose and overstep your bounds, but it meant you had a right at the table. You right. have the right to be with anyone, talking to anyone, being a part of anything. As in, and, don't listen to the voices in your head that are telling you you can't. Yeah, don't listen to them. I mean, in, in that sense of, you know, um, uh, I'll give an example was um, in my mid-career. So, you know, middle-level role. Um, I was to pick up a C-level and take him to a meeting with an incredibly famous C-level um, in the U.S. markets and sit there and take notes on the meeting and then drive him back to the airport. That was my job. And I was very proud of that job. I felt you know, that I was excited to have that opportunity just to breathe air with these two giants of business. And the one giant of business got sick, and I ended up having to take the meeting with 
the very famous sea level myself because there was no one else. And they gave me an elevated title for a day. And I walked in and did the meeting, shaking, terrified. But I did it. But faking it till you made it. Faked, faked it till I made it. And the funny part is that titan of business, that that person that I was terrified of, has become one of the best mentors I've ever had in my career. Wow. And is that because even though you were faking it to make it, you were actually yourself when you were with that person? Yeah, I was honest about it. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm here to, to do it because I'm the one. And he laughed. And I said, we're going to get through this and I'm going to knock through the points and we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And are you good with this, sir? Yes, I am. Great. Let's go for it. And we did it. It's kind of interesting that you call it faking it till you make it because it sounds uh, to me that you are actually being, uh, you were feeling the fear and doing it anyway. It sounds like you were incredibly courageous. Well, I mean, so the reason I call it fake it till you make it is, is to be a bone chillingly honest. I called a woman that day who was in charge of all the things that needed to happen that day. And I explained what had happened. And she's the one who said, darling, fake it till you make it. Yeah. Go in there and do the meeting. And so I always remember that day and that time. And she's right. There's no reason that I, that there, that I couldn't mm. have done it and did do it and, you know, whatever else. So, and so that's become a rally cry of my life is anytime I'm in a comfortable situation where I'm not sure I'm the right one. Why, why, why am I not the right one? Yeah. Why can't I do this? Yeah. On, I mean, those two pieces yeah. of advice that you received um, early on was basically about self-belief. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we talk a lot about diversity. We talk a lot about how do we make things more inclusive. But the real critical thing is how do we make people want to be included and feel they have the worth to do that? And we haven't finished tackling that issue of self-worth. You know, if we don't enable people to have their own mindset in career and allow them the room to grow within that career, um, we're never going to tackle this issue. I mean, mm -hmm. when I talk with young women, when I talk with diverse rooms, the issues I hear most about are, I don't know if I'm valued. I don't know if I'm going to be able to have a family. I don't know if I'll be able to come back. I'm afraid of what this will do for my career. You know, I'm afraid they're going to pass me over because they want a divert, more diverse workforce. I'm afraid to try and take a step up because what if I get downsized out? You know, I hear a lot of fear. And it's fear that doesn't need to be there if we have transparency around promotion and understanding that for 99% of people, they don't have goals. I'll say 90%. 90% of people don't have goals to be a C-level. They don't want that. They want to raise a family. They want to have some fun. They want to make enough money to do good things in life. And they want to retire. And they want to have enough money to be safe and settled. There's very few crazy people like me out there who want to change the world on a daily basis. So let's take the 10% that want to do something crazy and set them aside. And let's focus on the 90% who maybe don't need 10 promotions in their career and really would rather have a flexible working schedule or understand that it's okay to be in the same job for 20 years because they really like that job mm. because that's the security professional. I know pen testers who get up in the morning, pen test every day, go to bed at night, get up the next morning, do it. And that's all they ever want to do because they love it. They don't need a career progression. 
we need to give people uh, the ability to be transparent because there's always this culture of kind of um, saving face or uh, kind of doing things for show. Uh, what 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 was the expression? Um, like FaceTime, as in like, you know, how long could you be in the office? And, you know, would you be able to boast about how you slept overnight at your desk or whatever, you know? Um, and perhaps if people are a bit more honest about what is truly important to them, like spending time with their kids or finding a life partner or, you know, just being able to spend yeah. some time on uh, self-caring activities, um, you know, there wouldn't be this uh, excessive competitive uh, kind of culture in the workplace. It's funny. I mean, I think the excessive competitiveness has gone significantly down in the past 15, 20 years. Um, especially from when I started with my career, it's nothing like it was. Um, Why do you think but, that is? Well, I think we have a lot more PC nature at this point in, in business, which is good. I mean, when I, when I started, if you've ever seen the movie Boiler Room, Honest to God, that's what it was like. You were in at 5 a.m. There was a guy in your face screaming at your desk. You were doing this. You were going to do that. Pansy ass, rah, 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 scream, scream, scream. Get on the phones, pound the phones, go, 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 go. And you were branded a traitor if you weren't in the office till 8 o'clock at night. Mm. I mean, it was a high-pressure, high-paced, crazy environment. And that died very quickly because it was not a badge of honor. Um, to do that. I think though, there were other times looking back in my career. I remember when I announced I was having children, there was a lot of people that felt I was literally creating or committing suicide with my career. I remember mm. when I took a step back, I had people visibly angry that I would take a step back to stay with my family. Um, I mean, I, I literally had people yelling at me about it. Um, mm. You know, so to your point, I think you're right. Like if we make the badge of honor about being a solid work-life balance, first of all, you get better employees. They're not burned out. They're not, mm -hmm. you know, trying to do things that are inhuman. And you get people that want to spend quality time doing jobs they love. You have a longevity of workforce. Um, I mean, if you think about the most successful companies, look at Google. Look at, you know, Amazon, look at the, the Microsoft, the benefits they give their workers, the flex time, the ability to have in, you know, daycare on site, you know, creating a culture that allows for honesty around goal setting for your own personal life equates to better employees, bar none. Yeah. How did you at the time deal with someone screaming at you for choosing motherhood? You know, it was interesting. Um, the I had twin girls first. My twins came first. And I felt I could do it all. And I literally went back to work full time six weeks after twins were born. I was on a plane. Oh, my gosh. Um, and was on the phone, I think, maybe 48 hours after they were born working deals and working deals and working whatever I needed to and making decisions on engineering. And, you know, I never stopped. 
um, with my son, the joke was my team figured out that I was on, I was sending emails 10 minutes before he was born. Um, <laughs> honest to God, like from the hospital bed, I was emailing. I was bored. I wasn't, I was bored. Um, <laughs> I'm a little weird. I already warned you. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, for me, after my son was born, um, for some various reasons, I chose to take a full maternity leave and take the full 12 weeks, which is sounds funny, but that's, that's a long maternity leave in the Americas. Right. Um, and when I came back, I was, there was already a negativity around that I had taken, you know, the full time. And I remember being very, to some degree, upset. Was your experience with your first maternity leave something that influenced your choice for the second maternity leave? It was. It was. It was. Um, so the the difference between the two maternity leaves really had to do with, I think, you know, just all of a sudden, really some pressure from home and from you know my my life saying you're never going to have another time to do this, and so. I took the time and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And what I realized was that there was no reason I couldn't be a, an effective worker and spend more time with the kids. Like there wasn't the need to um, mm. be in the office every single day and constantly, you know, 12 hours a day in the office, banging on the computer. I could work from home. I could do some things that were a little different. I could flex my schedule and get the same results. Um, and I did that for three years. And it was funny because what it taught me was I really saw a shift in my own priorities from wanting to be the one that was always in the office to wanting to be the one that had a really good work-life balance. And that was a gradual shift in my, in my, in my own thinking. Mm. And when I came to terms with that decision, it's funny because if I look back on the time, it was probably the, one of the most successful times in my career before I went into senior management. Um, I was in, I was a director of, of a large corporation at that point. Then I was a vice president of a large corporation. And I remember being a VP and doing it all and having these kids and, you know, it was amazing. Um, but if I was going to continue it, something was going to have to give, you know, yeah. it was going to have to kind of give one way or another and really sitting down with my husband and going, okay, well, what do we want to do here? And having the opportunity to go do something different came up relatively quickly. Um, and it wasn't that I was unhappy or anything else, but they offered me the chance to stay at home right. for three years and looking at that and going, okay, well, should we do it? And going to the company I'd spent 12 years with, and saying, I want to do X, Y, and Z, would you allow me the opportunity? And the answer was no. Wow. You're crazy. Why would you ever do that? We can't afford you to do work from home. There's no way. And they made it a really easy decision. Hmm. And do you think they were being unreasonable or was it you that was demanding too much? You know, it's funny. I look back and... The idea of flex working hours, working from home, 
now is something that we talk about all the time. Yeah. People do it all the time. Back then, going back 10 years ago, it was so unheard of that you would have a manager, a director, a vice president that wasn't in the office every day, you know, that wasn't leading the charge. Mm. And I was running teams that were global in nature. I mean, it wasn't like I saw my people on a daily basis. You know, it was this, that, and the other. I just don't think it ever been thought of. You know, I mean, it was such a new revolutionary concept. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, too, is because, and this goes back to always listen to your yes. I was number one in the company. Like, you know, when you talk about walking out on top of your game, I walked out and walked away from hundreds of thousands of dollars because it was important to me. Mm. You know, top accounts, recognition to your point, that street cred and that, you know, kind of false sense of, you know, I'm really important. You know, on more than one occasion in my life, I've walked straight away from it and into something new. Um, and that always lends to, you know, I always, I, 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 I laugh about it. There's always two perceptions that I have to deal with. And I think a lot of women do when I make a move like that. Um, there's always a lot of chatter of whether I'm crazy or not. You know, she's completely insane. Why would she ever do that? I mean, she's terrified. She's tearing her career apart. She'll never be able to recover. Or she must know something that we don't know. And she's hiding something, you know, then there's a subversive that I've done something wrong or, you know, misdeed. I've got nefarious mm. you know, blood in my veins and, you know, no one would ever do that. Well, I did it. Sorry. Um, you know, that's always kind of the, the fun one too. Yeah. I mean, listening to you, I'm really getting a sense that you just had an extreme strength and, um, courage in your own abilities, uh, an extreme belief in your own abilities and assertiveness, a confidence, um, you know, a refusal to listen to other people's opinions um, or, or negative perceptions of you. You were just focused on what you wanted. It's not a question of, I'll tell you, and I think when you think about STEM and women in STEM, I have never focused my career on what I necessarily want. I focus my career, if I look at my career, I focus my career on my absolute loves. Because if you love what you do, you'll be great at what you do. I love mm. developing people. I love immersing myself in cutting edge, bleeding edge new technology that has the ability to do something different in the world and create a better world. And I love new challenge, whether it be right, wrong, or indifferent. And I will tell you that all three of those things terrify me to the depths of my soul. Because what if you get wrong hmm. coaching a person? What if you get wrong new technology? What if you get wrong doing something different and doesn't do what you think it's going to do? So, you know, you, you say that I sound very courageous and bravado, but the reality is, is that I'm constantly, you know, as most very senior women I know, my good friends, we joke about this. We're all constantly temperature checking ourselves and each other. Do you think this is right? Do you think this is right? Oh my God, what did I do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? 
um, because we take it, it's a part of me. It's a part of my DNA. Mm. And has it ever gone wrong? Heck yes. hundred percent. And you pick yourself up and you lick your boots and you do it again. Cause we all have to work. I can't just crawl into a corner and not work. <laughs> how have you, how have you dealt with failure? Like, has it set you back? Has there been a period of time where you have to kind of lick your wounds? Oh yeah. I mean, when, when you fail, you know, this is the thing when you're in a role like this, you know, when you fail and you're young and you fail and you're in lower roles, you fail, you, you know, you go out and have drinks with your buddies. You know, you probably need a strength therapy session one or two and you find a new job and you go do it again. You know, when you, there's, you know, there's not the magnitude when you fail at our level. Um, you know, it can be, very public it can be very hurtful it can be a lot of chatter and you know craziness and it can be you know damaging to the soul i've dealt Mm. with that um i'm lucky to say i haven't failed much in my career so i haven't dealt with it much thank god um Mm. but when it hasn't held you back has it no i mean when when you fail you have to look two things um uh funny i failed i i don't want to say i failed i chose to leave i chose to leave um, not because I failed, but because the, the, I, the, in essence, the, this, the situation and the company and what I was doing, we were going in two different directions and I failed to win the day, if that makes sense. Um, right. and so, you know, decided to leave cause it was the right thing to do, whatever else. And it took me, I think probably a good solid six to nine months to recognize the success and the failure and that it wasn't just you know, the world against me and, you know, to kind of come to terms with my own part that I played in my own, you know, demise to some degree in that role. Mm. Um, and, you know, to be mature and healthy about it. And it's funny because I think I was probably more of a hot mess than I ever realized for those nine months. And thank God, nobody really saw a lot of me in those nine months because I needed the time to not be a hot mess. As you were working through that process of, uh, getting out of your hot mess, were you doing that alone or did you have support? No, I mean, you do have support. I mean, I support a family and friends and coaches and all sorts of good stuff. But what I'm, the funny part when you talk about it is like, you know, my hot mess was played out on a very public stage because, you know, I am followed by lots of people on Twitter and LinkedIn and, you know, you have to keep working and you have to do a job here and you have to look at this and you have to look at that. And so because I had jumped straight into like I always had another role, I didn't have time to process just how maybe mentally off I was in my own leadership because I was still dealing with almost like almost like you deal with the grief of a person dying. I was dealing with the grief of losing my, you know, my my last role in identity. And I mm-hmm. never probably had buried it. So right. it took me, I think, a solid year to kind of you know, nine months to a year to really kind of put the baby to bed and then, you know, move on with my own self. And that's something I think as women, we tend to try and pretend we're more resilient than we are. Oh, it's okay. We're just going to continue. We just keep Mm. continuing, continuing. I've had great talks with other, you know, women in my position where we don't give ourselves time to just go, that was awesome. Or that really But the, the irony is I think women do that more than men do. Because uh, we live in a culture where men really do sweep their emotions under the carpet and just, you know, just soldier on. 
I, I disagree with you there because there's a big difference. And what I see is when men transition and there is a failure or a problem or, you know, they decide to go do something else. Mm. It's almost like, boom, they shed that skin and they go to the next one because there isn't the emotional tie of the role that you find with women. Mm-hmm. Women identify and take on, you know, we have these defined roles. We're a mother, we're a sister, we're a this, we're a that. Where with men, you have a lot, you know, in, in seniors, you, you have your work life and you have your home life and they don't bleed as much together. So I, I don't see the same, you know, in essence, and it's also to like, especially in security, there's so few women out there doing very senior work. We all know each other well, that when one of us has a failure, you know, it's played out on a very public stage whether we want it to or not, because you have all of your mentees, you have your mentors. What happened? What's this? What's that? Can you process? Can you do that? So it's constant, you know, well, what are you going to do next? Because God forbid you decide to step down. I mean, who's going to fill your slot? You know, that Mm. kind of a thing. You know, when it comes to um, the emotional side of what we do, um, there is this general consensus that women are much more emotional than men and men are kind of denying their emotions. And from what you've said, it kind of seems that men actually just uh, process their emotions very differently. So it's not like... I would say that it's, it's a very different, yeah. It's not, it's not that we're more emotional. We just process yeah, very differently. Yeah. So by definition then, do you think that affects our suitability for tech or STEM roles? I don't think it, it, it affects our suitability for tech or STEM roles. I think we need to realize that, you know, if we think about our own abilities in tech and STEM, what what we need to think about is not as much whether it's a woman or a man, but the understanding of how we would approach the jobs. So, you know, how do you make those roles appealing it's, it's the problem solving and it's looking at, you know, what's going to make a good, in essence, case study for a woman versus a man in that role. But then aren't you stereotyping if you're, if you're allocating jobs to people that are suitable for them? Well, hang on. I'm not, let me, let me finish. I'm not. (laughs) Okay. Uh -uh. So if I, uh, I'll give you an example. If I were about to staff a sock, um, I know I'm going to fill 20 seats. If I take the current job rack that's there and post it out, I'm going to get 90% male applicants and 10% female, maybe 10% female. Why is that? Because we're really good at writing laundry lists of what skills we want as a wish list, and mm-hmm. women don't respond to wish list because like me, if they don't check every box, they're not going to check, they're not going to apply. Yeah. So, we need to think about how we attract the right candidates. And this goes back to culture. If I were to write the same job rack and say, you know, um, growth position for a talented, um, you know, technical uh, person who has interest in this, this, and this, and is willing to learn on the job and be open to training, blah, 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 you know, apply here. I'm going to get a significantly higher tick rate in female candidates. And that's going to allow me 
to have a better pool of candidates, even if I put two different job recs out, one that's more targeting my male audience and one that's targeting my female audience, because if I'm able to pull from both, I'm going to have a much more robust workforce in the end. But it's being cognitive that that's out there. That's absolutely fascinating. So actually, as women, we don't need to change at all. We just have to proudly be ourselves. 100%. And the one thing I'll say about that is recognizing that when you're going to be yourself, that that may make others uncomfortable because of gender stereotypes that we still need to get over. Um, Great example. Um, You know, I remember my first review as a senior executive and it's around Robin review and this and that. And my peer and I had gone head to head in the last, in like the last board meeting on a specific topic. And I remember getting pretty assertive and being like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do blah, 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 blah. And walking out of the room and my boss being like, you should probably tone it down. Like it's getting a little hectic in there. I'm like, okay. Okay. Um, the, the next week, same topic came up. The gentleman next to me said the exact same thing and basically regurgitated my points and was lauded for his assertiveness and and directness in nature. Said basically the same exact thing I did. I was told to tone it down. He was told that it was great. Mm. So again, that's going to change with time as more women go into the boardroom. It's not something that we can correct. We can alert, you know, and I did, I alerted my, my boss at the time. I said, you know, I said the same thing last week. He told me to tone it down. Like they said it to you and you were all excited. I said, what is that? And he went, well, I'm just not used to hearing you get forceful. I said, well, is it a problem or is it, you're just not used to it? Oh, I never thought of it that way. So there's ways to code. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, but we're never going to solve that issue at this moment. Yeah. It's going to take us in that position. But what we do is, you know, as a good leader, any good leader will tell you, you will never change your team. You have to change around your team. So if I know that, that I'm going to be looked at as forceful or this or that or the Mm. other thing, then I have to change my style to fit the situation to get my point across. And that's okay. We do that in, in leadership all the time. That's not a male or women thing. That's leadership. Right. You know, if you are going to be an effective leader and you are a type A personality and you're dealing with type C personalities, you better learn how to relate to a type C because they're never going to relate to a type A. Right. It's so tricky though, because it's like, wait a minute, I'm changing myself to to adapt to people with limitations or limited thinking. Um, it's not a question of limited thinking. It's culture. It's culture. Right. We, I mean, think about it. I mean, this is the issue that I see in a lot of, in when we talk about diversity and inclusion, a lot of the time is we want the world to change, right? Mm. You're doing this cast because you want to help the world change and be a better place, right? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. At the end of the day, people change through influence, through repetition, through understanding a new normal. Mm. Remember when I said 10 years ago, never would have been thought work from home. Yeah. Now it's work from home. Yeah. You know, we do it through subtleties. 
So as women take more more places in security, in technology, in larger roles, the idea of having their culture, their opinions, their style in a boardroom, on an executive panel, in the workplace, giving opinions, will start to change over time. You know, I am considered, as, as you have said, you know, very lauded, whatever else, blah, 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 blah. She's great. She's this, she's that. Yay. You know, awards in the whole nine yards. But at the end of the day, my legacy is I am outspoken. I'm not always polished. I'll tell you exactly what I think. I can be an asset. I can be a liability and I can be a pain in the ass. And I wouldn't have it any other way. You may like me, you may not like me, but I've allowed other women to come behind me and not suffer the same headaches that I went through. Is that because you haven't always been this way and that you've evolved to be who you are today? And that, I mean, it would be a relief to hear that you weren't always like this. You've grown to become like this. Oh, no, I've been this way my whole life. Okay, so you've always been outspoken. You've always been mm-hmm. uh, a pain in the ass. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yep, to some degree, yeah. I mean, but but so, it's so what not was a giving question. You, yeah. What gave you the bravery to always be outspoken? I have a crazy quest for knowledge and, and understanding and helping people and loving life. It's just who I am. Mm. Celebrating, and that's the funny thing is, you know, we so many times in business – don't do that. Don't talk to this person. Yeah. Don't be like that. You're a little this, you're a little that. And that's the other thing with women. And I, I joke about this all the time. And it's all, it's something that makes me very sad in, in looking at diversity and, and, you know, is I've constantly in my senior career, not when I was younger in my senior career, been coached, you know, you have to, you have to tone it down. You have to be a little bit more like this. You have to be more like that. What do you think about wearing more suits? What do you think about wearing yeah. less dresses? Do you think your hair is the right color? Maybe you could make the nails a little shorter. Like everything is dissected about me from my na- from my nose to my How toes. did you not get crushed by that? That's what I just find so incredible. Well, I mean, but that's, and you don't hear that about male executives. Like no. when's the last time you had somebody walk up to a man and be like, don't think that tie is really a good color and maybe you shouldn't be on the press today because your hair is a little off. Um, you know, like that doesn't happen to the guys. Mm. And I, I take it with a little bit of part and parcel, like, you know what? And, and I, 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 I think about it and whenever it's, it's brought to me, I kind of go, okay, would you be saying this to somebody else? Oh, maybe not. But I just want you to do your best case. Well, it's great. I really appreciate it. I thank you for the compliment, and I, but I'm going to still do it my way. So you kind of have to get your own voice and all that too. Yeah. I mean, if I was to boil it down, it sounds as though you're just not afraid of being unpopular. No, I'm not. But, you know, on the same respect as everybody wants to be popular when something, you know, so there's two sides to it. If I'm out doing the executive thing, and what I mean by that is, you know, doing the leadership thing, going out and, you know, giving a talk or changing the world or doing something. No, I'm not afraid to be unpopular. I'm not afraid at all. If I'm balancing and trying to battle for a team or doing something for my own organization, you know, and facing whatever I need to face to get the result we need, do I, am I afraid of being unpopular? No. But in the same respect, do I absolutely crave and love 
popularity from my company, my team, the people I support, 100%. And when I lose that, Mm. I'm crushed. You know, so it's different. There's that balancing act. And I would say every strong woman I know has that balance. We will slay dragons left, right, and center. But our people, if they don't trust our vision, can slay us just as fast. Mm. And what makes people trust your vision is your genuine passion for what you do. That's what I'm getting. Yeah. I mean, you talked about earlier that, you know, you to, to strip away the confines of the like the look at me and what I've done and this and that and I'm so cool. And the reality is is that, you know, those of us that have really done it, been there, seen it, we don't need those monikers because they're already around us. What we need is the belief system of people who want us to continue in those roles. That is so much more powerful than any mm. award you're gonna ever get. Yeah. Um who are your role models? Oh, you know what? This just came up. This just came up not too long ago. Um, I am so blessed to have some of the most amazing mentors in the world who I love and adore. And I'm so beyond blessed to have in my thing, in my stable of, of people and influence. But who are my role models? My role models, honest to God, are the young women in my company right now and the young women I am lucky enough to mentor because they're the real trailblazers. They're the ones coming after the bulldozers. You know, the, mm. those of us that kind of bulldoze the doors open, they're the ones that are making the positive impact that don't have these shackles of we don't have enough diversity and I can't do it like the guys can and all this other stuff because they are doing it and they don't feel the same things. And they're my role models because they have just this incredible energy and can do collaboration and spirit. And I want to be like them. Yeah. They're awesome. Why do you think they have that? Do you think that comes from seeing role models like you? Oh God, I hope not. Um, I'm teasing. Um, You know, it's always hard being the first and it's always hard being last. It's really nice to be in the middle and we're seeing the middle start to form where you know, women in techno in technical roles is not unheard of. We have found a way to make it in college and in universities and in life acceptable to be a very career oriented woman. And it's exciting and really lauded as a success to be a successful technologist as a woman in today's world. Where we lose them is when you want to start having work-life balance. And I look at all my amazing role models right now and have a heart attack of what's going to happen in 10 years when they all fall in love and want to have kids. <laughs> and hopefully we get it right by then mm-hmm. of being more inclusive on that role too. Um, but I think we're seeing the fruits of a lot of labor. And it's not women's labor. It's the industry's labor, the industry. You know, up until a couple of years ago, I didn't have a female mentor. All of my mentors were men who believed in me. Mm-hmm. I never thought about diversity as an issue for me until I became more of a senior role. I want that for them. I don't want them to ever worry about that gender got them a role. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Um, You honestly come across as being a woman that has it all. It's, it's really, really inspiring. Um, Uh, It's, it's all duct tape and band-aids. (laughs) 
I mean, is that really, is is this concept of having it all a, a reality or, you know, are there obvious compromises you've had to make in order to have all these different aspects of your life fulfilled? I think you have to realize, like, I am so blessed. I do have amazing blessings in my life. I have a career that I absolutely love, a company that I'm, you know, incredibly passionate about, um, a wonderful family, four children, a great marriage. You know, I do have a lot of blessings. Um, the reality of the situation, though, is I'm sitting here right now in a ponytail, and I don't think I brushed my teeth yet this morning. Um, <laughs> You know, my house always, to some degree, looks like the middle of a tornado. Um, I'm really, really lucky when I get like 10 minutes to myself in a day. And I fall asleep on my computer more often than not when I shouldn't be. Um, And I'm always apologizing to somebody for something I've forgotten. But I wouldn't have it any other way. I get to experience and love a lot of different things. And you know what? If I chose to focus only on the career, I probably would be at a higher position than I am right now. And my husband might be happy because I'd be making a little more money than I am right now, but we wouldn't have the life we have. have. Yeah. Yeah. And what is your husband like? Because, um, you know, uh, you just sound so badass that I wonder what kind of man is a good match for alpha female like you. (laughs) Uh, well, I can hear right now he's in the shower. He probably just picked up garbage from our rental house and is headed to the office himself. Um, we grew up together. I mean, not grew up together, but we've been together since my early 20s. He's in security as well. Um, he is laid back. He just likes boxes. He never had any um, goals into going into management. That was always my thing. Um, and he just, he's very supportive of our life. Um, mm. You know, so he's, there are days he's frustrated. Um, the one thing that, you know, where, you know, I've, I've probably worked a little too much, taken one too many business trips and he'll sit me down and be like, you need to be a little bit more present in this world if we're going to continue it. Um, he likes to grumble that, you know, there's no man on earth that does as all as much as him. And I just roll my eyes and tell him that then he should see half the women I know. Um, but we do, we have a good balance. Um, and mm-hmm. What type of man is he? He's one that um, he, we, we never, and this sounds funny, we, we grew into this together. We never meant for this to happen. The goal was always for me to be a stay-at-home mom. That was what I wanted. And wow. my Yeah, I mean, my, I always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And my career took off. What changed? (laughs) (laughs) My career, this is, I was going to tell you, my career um, took off when I was very young and I was with him and he, we sat back and looked at the, the dollar signs and not just the dollar signs, but the accolades. And very quickly in my career, I was doing some things that really did change the world, literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. And we sat back and went, wow, okay, well, we can't look, look a gift horse in the mouth and, mm-hmm. you know, okay. And so we we went through that and then we decided to have a family and we got through that and he took a role closer to the house. So his, his office is literally two miles down the road from our house so that he can be kind of Mr. Mom when I'm not around. And we got through mm-hmm. that. And then it became, you know, as the roles continued, 
and we had daughters. It's the daughters who really, right. I think, cemented the fact. We both love technology. We're both in STEM. We have, no joke, a server farm in our master bedroom. We're really weird people. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, we we constantly, we, we have a server farm in our bedroom and no video game console in the house. It's kind of a crazy thing. But as I'm sitting here looking, I have like 10 computers on this desk and a drum. So, hey, it's all good. Um, <laughs> we wanted the, with the girls. I, I, I never wanted my girls to ever be in a situation where somebody told them they can't. And so stepping into this role, being this role model, doing what I do, good, bad, or indifferent, some days great, other days not, I pray that it will make it easier for them. That's my life mm. mission. Right. And if there was a single piece of advice um, for, you know, potential stemmers out there, um, what would it be so that, I mean, I just, I really want to be like you when I grow up, <laughs> even though I'm grown <laughs> up. And in order to kind of emulate the life you have, what would there be a single piece of advice you could give us? Um, here's here's the, the way to look at it. One, don't take yourself too seriously. Life is fun. Your career should be fun. Love what you do and put everything in your world into it. Love what you do. The second thing is, Always be scared. I wake up scared every day. I go to bed scared every day. I go, and what I mean by that is never be complacent. Always challenge yourself to do more than you have the day before. And the third piece of advice I would give is be honest with yourself. You know, what are your goals? It's, it's funny. You can lie to yourself all day long talking. You can't lie to yourself writing. Write down where you want to be. I do this at least once a year, in a year, in five years, in 10 years. What is really important to you? Is it the family? Is it the accolades? Is it all those trappings of awards? That's okay. It can be. You know, at different points in my career, you know, I've had this where my goal was, I want to speak at RSA. Great. Did it. What's the next goal? And I still have bucket lists. Like my next two bucket list items are I want to go to Davos and I want to do a TED Talk. Those are my two bucket list items mm. that I'm working on right now, Davos and TED Talk. Um, so, you know, be honest about your goals. And last but not least, always be yourself. Always be yourself. Gosh, I have absolute goosebumps just listening to you. I am so <laughs> thoroughly inspired. I need to pick my jaw up off the floor. Um, thank you so much for your wisdom and your insights. Oh my gosh, I wish I could talk to you for hours more. Um, but, you know, I think there's just so much behind everything you've said um, that, you know, I mean, it's enough to catapult someone's career aspirations into new dimensions so thank you so much for coming on the show thank you for having me i'm glad that it went well and uh thanks for the opportunity to do this it was really a lot of fun that's it from my stem guest this week my gosh i am 
literally blown away by what she said today. We've covered so many profound topics. And again, I feel like I need to go away and kind of just process everything she said, because I think if I was to follow her advice to the T, it would it would literally catapult my my own career um, into new dimensions. What an amazing woman who really does appear to have it at all, but is so honest about how she's uh, managed that. Thanks for listening this week. Don't forget to rate and review this show and catch you next week on Silence. <laughs>